They can never lose the WBC title no matter what weight class they go to. Huh? Brazil Lomachenko. They can never nah, lose it. Nah. Unless they lose it. They can't lose it. They win a fight, they can become undisputed, but they can never that's, lose it. That's figurative. Oh, no, no, no. We got to talk to Al. Top rank got some shit going on. Matter of fact, boxing on some bullshit. Oh, I came at the perfect time. At the perfect goddamn time. At the perfect goddamn time. So, you already know. I'm just trying to figure out how you do your shit at 160. But when we do step in this ring, this ain't wrestling. This ain't the WWE. So February 2021 is going to be the month that we accept British boxing is broken from top to bottom. You know, two weekends in a row, you had Josh Warrington losing to a 22-year-old Mexican. And if you've heard the episode I did, you know, there's a cloud over that one for me. But for where we placed Warrington and the level we thought he was at, you know, that's a massive return back down to earth and then for Josh Kelly against David Avanesi and I I feel differently about this one so I never thought Josh Kelly would win so I won't dwell too much on it I always thought David Avanesi would win he's someone I've tried to keep in reasonably good contact with we've been friends on social media probably since 2014 2015 and I've liked his career since you know God knows when and I think He's everything I respect in a fighter because he's authentic. And that's something we struggle to find at the top level of British boxing, that authenticity, that character. And there's a whole number of reasons why we don't find this. There's a whole number of factors that come into why we're looking at the roster of the top 50 British fighters and we're saying they ain't really that good. Joshua, tick. Fury, tick. Billy Joe, tick. Josh, um, God, his name escapes me. Josh Taylor, that's it, God. Josh Taylor, big tick as well. Then we start flapping and faffing and we start to struggle a bit. Joe Joyce, massive tick. Isaac Chamberlain, tick. Craig Richards, tick. These are all guys where you put that tick in there. Even Umar Sadiq, tick. These are guys who have shown us the right sort of potential, the raw materials to be world level. And outside of that, you kind of struggle. And I know I've missed some names off. So before anyone says I've snubbed anyone, apologies. I was just going off the top of my head. But I just wanted to delve deep into this because I've been talking about this on and off for years about how British boxing is this massive Ponzi scheme, like a Bernie Madoff scheme. And fans are at the heart of buying into this nonsense. And I just want this episode to be a bit of a reality check. So by the time you finish this episode, I want you to understand that there are a lot of things wrong with the sport, but it's nothing that can't be fixed. And we should be pushing for these things to be fixed. Because that's when we get the heroes, the superstars, the characters that we can invest in and we can expect to arrive at world level and stay at world level. Because right now, we don't have those characters. I don't want to attach a priority order to the topics I'm going to touch on today because I, I don't even know how you'd ascribe weightings or rankings to them. But I wanted to start with the promoters because I think 
a large part of how we view boxing and consequently how we feel about fighters and how we feel about results like what we saw on Saturday is down to the promoters. You know, we're drifting into this cult of personality amongst boxing promoters. And that's something Eddie's done that we've kind of appreciated, but it's almost gone the other way now where, where we had promoters who were vocal and open about what was happening. We're now being sold a myth. We're now being sold stories, which boxing should never be about. The story is the fight. The story is the fighters. It's not the promoters. It's not the camera jockey with the microphone. It's not those guys. It's the guys that have to lace up in the 8-ounce gloves, the guys that have to lace up in the 10-ounce gloves. Their story matters. And we've moved away from that. So the place I'd really focus on, if I'm being honest with you, is it's this idea that promoters have started to, to sell the sizzle and not the steak. And what do I mean by that? So if you look at boxing, a guy shows up and Adam Smith will read off his amateur credentials, multiple-time national champion, multiple tournament winner. They talk about all of these things and they're never really specific about them. So my take on it is, if you've won an ABA title post-2016, it's a bit hollow because boxing hasn't been good since 2016. It made perfect sense to talk about a kid being an ABA champion in the 90s and the 2000s because there were hundreds of kids competing. Hundreds. You know, like if you look at the current roster, look at guys who didn't get out of the Londons when it came to amateur boxing. And like London is the, the first rung on the way to ABA champion. Craig Richards never got out. Think about that. But yeah, down to having Joshua Bartz in, if Craig Richards was from Tiverton or from Taunton or from Castle Carey, he'd have probably made it to the quarterfinals, semis or the final. But that shows you how, how tough it was in the old days of the ABAs. Guys like Carl Froch came through pretty tough lineups. But it's not the same thing now. So when a promoter says that, fans are looking at it with that nostalgia from the 90s and the 2000s but not applying it to how real it is now where anyone can compete and anyone can get far in these tournaments because the entrants are so few and far between. You know, Frank, alongside Steve Bunce and Richie Woodall, they love to sell all of these sort of old-school amateur credentials and they oversell it. So you imbue the prospect with far more value than he's actually earned through his exploits. We started to see that creep into the small hall scene. It's not just Steve Goodwin, it's... Kevin, Marie, uh, Steve Wood, everyone's trying to leverage the trinkets and the trophies and this and that and the third and it does nothing to tell you whether a kid can fight or not. If you want to talk about someone's amateur pedigree, just put their record up. Just go up like, you know, in the days of having kids like Mo Garib, you can talk about Mo Garib. Mo Garib had to have had close to 100 fights as an amateur. Same with Mason Smith, although I wish he would come back to boxing. You know, now, Jim, we've got a kid, Charlie Harrison, who's close to being a centurion. Do you see what I mean? You've got guys who've got legit records, guys who've been in with good people, like Danny Carr won over the weekend. Congratulations to Danny. But Charlie's been in with him and was unlucky to lose a, a stoppage decision. But, I mean, that's the sort of company these guys used to keep in the old days, and you don't get that now. Now, the person who really went to town on this was pretty much Eddie Hearn. And, you know, he couldn't have done this without Adam Smith, who was in league. And you know what Adam's like. He's almost the Jim Ross of, of boxing in the sense that he loves to talk about 
the amateur background and their athletic prowess and things like this, but it's all done with the intent to hoodwink fans. Think about the class of 2012, right? Olympics 2012, Ukraine gave us Vesel Lomachenko and Alexander Usyk. The United Kingdom pretty much just gave us Joshua and Luke Campbell. Which two would you rather go into battle with? I know who I'd rather go into battle with. But look at how Herner's rinsed this whole idea that if you've got that GB pedigree, if you've been under McCracken, somehow you're a special athlete, you're a special boxer. And we know for a fact Joshua isn't. Now, mindset, Joshua, 10 out of 10. Dedication to his craft, Joshua, 10 out of 10. Desire, hunger, 10 out of 10. Boxing prowess and boxing intellect, Nah, that's not him because he came too late to the sport. But he's made up for that deficiency by optimizing everything else that he can optimize. So respect to him for that. But he's no Usyk. Luke Campbell, same thing. Arrived at the Olympics, kind of old for an amateur. But nothing out of the ordinary. But even he, very basic, very limited, as a boxer, as a technician, as a guy who can make decisions in the ring, Luke Campbell, very limited. So you break this down further, you look at it and you go, so 2012 didn't give us that much? Apart from the name that Hearn overlooked? The name that Hearn didn't give much credence to? Until it was too obvious to ignore, Josh Taylor. I'm going to throw another name at you that Hearn never talked about, that British boxing never talked about. And had he not been robbed, would have probably been another British medalist. The treatment of Isaac Dogbo by British boxing is nothing short of scandalous. This is the kid who went to the Olympics in 2012 as a 17-year-old and worked his way up the ladder. I think he got robbed against a kid from Thailand who wasn't really that good, but Thailand are a power within Aiba in a way that Ghana aren't, unfortunately. So Isaac had to carry the can for what I'd say was corrupt decision-making in a way that even Michael Collins' decision wasn't that bad. So when you look at 2012, actually, for British boxing fans and the way we bought into things, the two people we should have got behind, Isaac Dogbo, Josh Taylor, who to me have done it the right way and the hard way, we never got behind. Whereas we've been forced to swallow Joshua and Campbell routinely year after year and I have no issue with that now because I've kind of warmed to Joshua but I look at that and I go yeah that, that GB model I'm not quite sold on it I look at 2016 Joe Joyce came out of 2016 from a British perspective but Joe Joyce is no Tony Yoka France came out of that with Tony Yoka and Estelle Mosley jeez that's a golden couple that's golden DNA when it comes to boxing we had Joe Joyce, awesome to get a silver. Joshua Bartzi, what an amazing bronze. Fearless, brave, tough. And his career stalled massively. And then we had the busts. Kesh Ashfaq, um, Yafai, and yada, yada, yada. All the other people who just didn't show up. Josh Kelly being one of them. Let's not forget that. And now it looks like 2020 is going to be an absolute disaster. Or 2021, I should say. It's going to be an absolute disaster for the amateurs. And a lot of the guys are just going to turn over, apart from Fraser Clark. But he's in that Joe Joyce predicament. By the time he fights his Olympics, if he wins a gold medal, he'll be too old. And then, just, just to go down a level. Now look at all the guys that they talk about from a GB perspective. Your Charlie Edwards, 
your Chris Congos, your Ted Cheesemans and so forth. Um, Dalton Smith was part of that. These are all guys who are unproven. I'm not saying they're good. I'm not saying they're bad. They're unproven. I know people say Charlie Edwards. Uh, but for me, Charlie's still unproven. I think Charlie could be a decent champion. Give him time. Give him an opportunity. And I'm saying all of this just to illustrate this point that we've mythologized GB into being this factory for really great boxers, and it's not, actually. It seems that you will do better being outside of that system than you will in that system, and there's a question around why, and we'll talk about that when it comes to discussing fighters. But promoters love to milk this and rinse this to get your interest, and this is the consequence of living in the IFL era, where you get some guy put a camera in your face, whether the views are real or not is irrelevant, but the fact is, it lends itself to you talking a good game. It doesn't matter what you do in the ring anymore. As long as you come off looking good in IFL, say something witty and funny, and you'll get the retweets and you'll get the engagement and you'll get the, the little clips, you know, the social media content that goes viral. But none of that helps you fight a guy like David Avanessian. None of it. Promoters know that. But think about why promoters do this. So we all understand the goal of a promoter is to make a show profitable. And I understand that. That's kind of why they stay in business. But at some point, you've got to invest. And you've got to invest in your guys. And you've got to gamble that if you look after them and you treat them right and you pay them what they're worth, they'll stay with you. Now, <laughs> boxing is notorious for probably more disloyalty than other sports. It's also notorious for shady contracts. It's notorious for all sorts of things that kind of eliminate that relationship of trust between promoter and fighter. But at some point, you're going to have to invest because at the moment, what these promoters are doing is sacrificing long-term revenue for short-term profitability. And on a fight-by-fight -fight basis, that makes perfect sense until you get to someone like Josh Kelly versus David Evanesian, where you've now got to send Josh Kelly all the way back down the ladder to rebuild. And I know Hearn's talking about a rematch, but come on. There's nothing Josh Kelly could have done in that fight because he hadn't even got to the point where it was going to become a gut check. He hadn't even got into the deep water. And he fell apart. And I'm not saying that to be cruel, I'm just saying that because it is what it is. And so it would have been better to get Josh Kelly to 17, 18 and 0 against challenging fights and let him do that whole British circuit, the Chris Congos, the Conor Benz, and so forth. Even bring O'Hara Davis up to 147. That, that sort of dynamic would have worked perfectly. But they chose to fast track him because they were trying to nick a title shot and make money that way. Boxing doesn't forgive people who don't respect the basics. And these promoters are getting found out. Look, Frank's lost two of his cash cows and he's had to go all the way back to rebuild them. So Frank now has to delay the point at which he, at which he can cash out. But had he invested properly from the start, he wouldn't have had this problem. It's the same with Hearn. Had he invested properly in the start, he wouldn't have this problem. And too many promoters are obsessed with short-term profitability at the expense of that, that long-term opportunity to make millions. And that's another factor as to why British boxing's flat, because the kids aren't getting the opportunities they need to become better. They're not getting the opportunities they need to make the mistakes that help you become world-class. 
But just look at the, the post-2016 generation and how few fights they've had, the Kesh Ashfax and so forth. Joe Joyce even. These guys haven't even got to 2025 bouts yet. And we're four, what, four and a half years since the Olympics? And they haven't had the bouts. So where's the investment money for that? Because what ultimately happens is when they get to the world stage, they lose to people who've been built up properly. They lose to people who've been active. Nothing beats the reps you need on fight night. Nothing beats fight night rounds. Not sparring, not being around the right people in camp. Nothing beats fight night rounds. And a lot of British guys don't get that because number one, they don't fight often enough. And number two, they get cheap opponents who just fall over. And I'm not disrespecting the journeyman. What I'm saying is, the gap in class is too much for them to do anything competitive. So why, why extend the fight longer than you need to? And all of this just points to the fact that promoters don't invest in success. Now, Boris Johnson has pretty much just announced that we'll be in a position to lift all restrictions by the summer. That means that you'll see the small hall guys try and make a go of promoting again. And my challenge back to guys like Steve Goodwin, your Steve Woods and so forth, even Dennis Hobson is... Are you going to give us the same drivel we had before? Or are you now going to start trying to make fights that the fans want to see? Are you going to start putting your guys in fights that are going to develop them? Or is it still going to be the, the steady diet of mediocre journeymen until you can get them on TV and then allow your opponent to be beaten while still telling them you care about their career? We're going to find out a lot when the barriers lift. We're going to find out a lot when the small hall stuff comes back. We're going to find out a lot, especially when the amateurs come back. But I don't really want to hammer the promoters because they're a relatively small part of this, right? They just put on the events. The mistakes, the errors, the things that led to Josh Kelly imploding against David Evanesi. And that's the word I would describe because I don't think it's that Josh isn't talented enough. I genuinely just think as the water got deeper, he started to wonder whether he could swim or not. And the deeper the water got and the stronger the current got, he started to doubt everything he knew. And you saw him fall apart. It reminded me of Jana Novotna playing in the Wimbledon final, where you progressively saw the game fall apart until in the end, he just wanted out. I can't blame the promoter for that process. We've got to look at the fighter. We've got to look at the trainer. I think in this case society's problems have become boxing's problems we we don't breed tough kids anymore for all of those of you who have traveled and you've been to eastern europe or you've been to africa you've been to the far east or you know you've been to parts of real deprivation and i don't mean like here where you know you're complaining about what your universal credit is i mean where you're looking at people who if they don't hustle they don't eat it breeds a toughness in you. And those societies are still societies where problems are resolved where they need to be, through hands. So from a young age, you understand what it is to, to confront your fears. You understand what it is to, to overcome. And sometimes you understand what it is to, to take your beating and weather the storm and hope for a better time. You, you learn these things growing up in tough environments because... Tough environments make for tough people. You cannot manufacture toughness. Team GB tried and they failed. You cannot manufacture toughness. 
And this is one of the reasons why boxers from the traveller community do so well. They come from a background that, that rewards toughness. They come from a background that rewards those who overcome. That's how you get your respect in that, in that lifestyle. And because of that, you have that resilience and that toughness. You know, you may not have the discipline necessarily, but tough as they come. And look at Tyson Fury. He got up from that wilder shot. But we don't have guys like that on a conveyor belt. Because the kids are soft and their parents are soft. Now, I don't need this to be a diatribe against what's wrong in society. I just want to keep it really simple and say we do not produce the people with the mental and the spiritual constitution of a Charlie Magri, of a Ken Buchanan, even of a Jim McDonald. We do not produce these guys anymore. A Don Charles, for example, who's still moving and grooving, shaking and baking at nearly 60 years old and still as tough as they come. We don't produce that anymore. And that's reflected in what you saw on Saturday. If Josh Kelly had been born in 1960, do you think he would have been stopped after the sixth round? I don't think so. I think he would have toughed it out for a few more rounds. And that could have made all the difference. But we don't produce tough kids anymore. Don't believe me? We have the same issue in football. Who can forget the Chris Waddle rant about how footballers are pampered? Absolutely hilarious. If you can find that anywhere, it's brilliant. It's the same thing in rugby. We're not streetwise. We're not tough, we're not physical enough. That's why we had to get the Polynesians in our team for that physicality. You know, and every nation seems to be doing it. We don't produce tough kids in this country. It's a problem. Now, with the kids we do have in this country who have a bit of an edge to them, who do have a bit of that toughness, what do we do? We chastise them for having that. They get selected against. McCracken wouldn't want them in GB if they've got that edge. If they can stand up for themselves, they don't make it that far because everyone in the system becomes scared of them. This is a sad truth about British boxing. All the people with that character and edge end up by the wayside because people can't handle them. We do not have the strong characters. It comes back to the point. We don't have the strong characters in the sport who can deal with those sorts of people and get the best out of them. So we miss them. And you see a lot of these guys doing bare knuckle or doing MMA eventually because those sports seem better able to cope with that kind of energy. You know, I remember my time at Fitzroy Lodge. I saw a lot of people come and they'd just be told thanks but no thanks. Not because they weren't good boxers. They just weren't the right type. They had too much of an edge. Some people call it attitude. No, no, no. It's just an edge. Dillian could have done a lot of good things at the Lodge. But... They, you know, the view was his edge wasn't quite what they wanted. He went to Miguel's where they can better absorb that and he did great things. And we need to resolve that problem and that's not just a boxing problem, that's a sport problem. We can't even find a spot for Jack Grealish in the England team and he's our best player right now on form. So I don't know what you do. I don't know. What I do know is from a boxing perspective, it means when you go up against someone like David Avanesian who has come up the hard way, who understands what it is to not give up, who understands what it means to impose yourself on someone and say, I'm here, can you cope with me? 
the Brits like Josh Kelly just go, not today, I can't. Not in front of these fans watching on TV, I can't. Not on live TV, I can't. I just need to get myself home. And that's what happened. Were there other factors at play? I, I'm reliably informed that there were. But the reality comes back to we do not produce tough kids anymore. And when we do find tough kids, what do we do? We punish them for it. But I need to make that real for you because if I keep saying stuff, it just sounds like I'm moaning, but I need to give you real examples, right? This is what happens with kids nowadays. They're afraid of hard work. If I say to a group of kids, look, you've come to train today, but let's just get a quick two-mile run in, reasonably quick pace, but it's not going to take that long. It's two miles for goodness sake. You know, that's not that long. Oh, what are you going to do on that? Even if you do 10, 12 minutes, that's fine, right? That's all we're asking. These kids can't run. You make them work hard in the gym, they complain that they're tired and they can't carry on or they don't want to do that or, you know, they're going to wait for another trainer to come in and help them out. And this is what you see routinely. These kids are afraid of hard work. They're afraid to be uncomfortable. They're afraid to be pushed. And if it's not something they can put on social media, it's not worth it. So these kids just want to come in and do what they want to do. I'm going to come in, hit the bag, um, spar like an idiot and go home and then tell people I'm a boxer. That's probably about 60% of people who have an amateur boxing card right now. Afraid of hard work. No toughness. Afraid of hard work. Want to do pads because it looks good on Instagram. Film me doing pads. Do this. They, don't, they ain't even trying to learn. They want to learn a pattern. And so... It makes social media trainers out of clowns. And they take all the limelight from the real trainers who make you do the stuff you're uncomfortable doing. And you're seeing this now. This is why all these prospects are getting slapped left, right and center. And they're getting slapped by guys who aren't necessarily better technicians or better boxers than them. They're just tough men who have said, I've come for a fight. What have you come here for? That's what Avanesian did. He said, I'm a tough man. I'm part Russian, part Armenian. I'm tough as hell. Josh Kelly, what have you come here for? You come to dance? You come to, well, what? You just want to do all that posing and posturing in front of me. Not today. I'm not letting you do that. If you get half a second to draw breath, good luck to you. But today, Josh Kelly, we're going to find out what's in your heart. You made me wait two years. I'm expecting you to be two years better. And then you could see, as Josh started to wilt, David Avanesian started to smile. He got the bit between his teeth and he said, right. I'm going to close this out because you haven't given me the challenge I came here for. And you could see that in his body language. He's like, I didn't have to do the camp I did to deal with someone like you. I could have done this a year ago. And now Josh is left to rebuild. Do I think Josh did all of his runs? I don't know. He didn't look like a guy in there who looked tough. And I said it to a friend the other day, and I said, David Avanesian looked like he had just been mining coal for the last four years without a break when he stood on the scales. Josh Kenny looked like he had just done body pump at Fitness First. 
and he's a symbol of what I see in boxing now. Like I remember seeing these videos of him doing the um, the in and out kind of jab thing that Adam likes to do. He wasn't even doing it properly. He was just doing it for the cameras. I've seen Shannon Courtney do it, and we know what happened with Rachel Ball. I've seen all of this stuff, and the irony is in that whole Adam Booth camp, you'll never see Ellie Scottney doing anything fruity like that. And that's why she's authentic. She understands what wins fights because she's done it at a high level as an amateur. Ellie understands what wins fights. She has the appetite to fight, which a lot of people don't have. And she's got a, an acute understanding of how this game works. So I've got a lot of respect for Ellie Scottney in that camp. So I'm not going to just shoot down the whole camp. I'm just saying, look, the posing and the posturing has to stop. The, the nonsense, the BS, all of that has to stop. We need to get back to what boxing used to be about. Kids demanding to be better. I haven't seen a generation like that since the O'Hara Davis era. When those kids were being repped and demanding another hundred reps out of each other when they were doing push-ups or sit-ups and driving each other forward. The, the generation of Ricardo Slew, Big Aussie, Big Chris, Yilmaz, um, Galilee, I mean, at the lodge, man, those legendary names in the amateur scene because they were all tough men and they demanded everything of each other. Um, Double Jab, Courtney Bennett, Honor Lauser, Ross Boyle, all of these guys I've seen up close and personal. And shouts out to Nick Manners and his gym up in Leeds because he does something similar and his kids are like that. Um, Danny Thornton at, at Detox up in Leeds as well. Tough sessions. And people are demanding things of each other. And you don't see that in boxing anymore. Where you look at someone in the gym and you say, I'm not letting your laziness ruin my experience today. So you're either on board or get out. We don't have that culture anymore. And our fighters are losing to people from countries that do have that culture. You know, these kids, and, and I hope you can tell from my tone of voice, I'm just tired, I'm exasperated because... I live these failures on a daily basis and I get to see them up close because of the people I know, but it's, it's, it's deflating. How can you have amateurs who have had eight fights in three years? I always remember this. I had a chat with Billy Rumble. He's a coach at Rumble Boxing Club and he's Martin McDonough's trainer. So if you watch MTK shows, you'll know who Billy Rumble is. Big shout out to Bill. Bill is as passionate and as dedicated a trainer as you're going to find on top of a full-time job. Don't forget that. Now, Bill took Martin McDonough and Martin McDonough was at a low ebb because he was losing fights, he should be winning and all of this. Bill worked on him. And I remember there was one season, it might have been 2016. Took him to 22 fights in one season. And that's what made a man of Martin McDonough. That's what gave him the toughness. That was great investment by a good trainer. A lot of these kids don't want to fight 22 times. They're telling you they need a three-month camp to prepare for a tournament. Like, you're not fighting Canelo, Jesus. You're fighting someone just like you for three three-minute rounds. Like, if you need a three-month camp to do that, man, you're in the wrong sport. One of the things I'd love to see is get back to the idea that you can box every week. Now, I don't know how that works financially, but logistically, it should be possible. If a boxer wants to box every week, they should be able to. When we were at Double Jab, we were, we were good at that. We could get you from zero to 15 bouts 
in a matter of three or four months. We've done it before and I'm sure they still do it over there. You need the bouts because I'd rather see you make the mistake in 12-ounce gloves than you make the mistake in 8-ounce gloves. But it's also when you find out who really wants to do this thing we call boxing. A lot of people talk about it. A lot of people love the idea of being a boxer. But only when it's on their terms. Only when it suits them. They're not going to come in when it's uncomfortable. They're not going to come in and learn. They're not going to demand that their coach gives them more. They're not going to demand that their, their club mates or their campmates give them more. They're just going to come in, take what they're given and leave. Just so they can tell their mates they're a boxer. And it's embarrassing. And people in the sport should name and shame these guys. But they choose not to because it's just not the done thing. But like I said, this is what leads to situations like Josh Kelly and David Evanesian. One of the sad things that I encounter in my life in boxing, and it's not the greatest of lives, it's not the most illustrious of lives, but it's a life nonetheless. nonetheless. I encounter the delusion a lot of these fighters have. Now, I think you can have delusion based on the fact that you can say, look, no one's working harder than me, therefore, how can I be denied? And I love that level of delusion. But I remember talking to a good friend of mine who's a trainer, and his exact words were, Terry, I don't think these guys want it anymore. I don't think these guys want it anymore. Why should I have to tell someone to come to the gym? The gym is their place of work. They should be here. I shouldn't have to ask someone to come to the gym. I should be turning them away. They don't want it anymore. Amateurs, pros, it doesn't matter. This seems to be true across the board. There are boxers who tell their trainers when they're going to come in, what time they're going to come in, what they want to do, and so forth. Ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. But there is this delusion that says, I'm going to be a world champion. Why? Because I keep saying it. Because I'm on social media and people are liking my videos. Yeah. Social media will never make you a better boxer. Won't even make you a more marketable boxer. Nothing beats what you do in the ring. And so we've become obsessed with this idea. Like, I'll be on social media and I'll see kids that I've worked with in the past. And I know that they're lazy. I also know that they're cowards. And I'll see them in videos in camps here, there and everywhere. But I know, I'm like, there's no way you're going to make an elite level athlete out of this guy. Too lazy. Too lazy once everything... On, on his or her own terms and you know you're just trying to say to someone just trust the process and they're trying to tell you what the process is and you're like well, I don't have time for this now there's a time around 2012 2013 when being on social media was great that's what got O'Hara Davis signed it's what got Anthony Yard signed and countless other people got signed based on what they're doing on social media but I know how hard those guys were working, man. They were putting it all on the line. These were guys, I remember Tunde would proclaim, anyone over 25, stay away from my fighters because you will not be able to live with the pace. It'd be interesting to know how he feels about that all these years later. But they were training like demons. And there were groups of people who used to train like demons. And so social media merely reflected that. You got a, a view, an insight into how hard these guys went. Now it's just, and 
and really bad technique and videos and just just people being active and busy without really training. There's no discipline. There's no purpose. There's no concentration in what they're doing. It's poor. It's piss poor. But they get the likes and they get the, the retweets and they get the shares and they get all of this stuff. But that doesn't even feed into their bank account. The kids like OD and Anthony Yard got social media right and they made a living off it. Isaac Chamberlain, another example of a guy who did that. What unites those three? They're reasonably tough guys. I know people come back and say, oh, O'Hara quit against Josh Taylor. Look how good Josh is now. O'Hara's a British level plus guy at the moment, maybe European level. Josh is elite. I don't think O'Hara was ready for Josh to be elite. I just think that's what happened. I think if they fought now, would he see it through to the end? Well, he'd see it through for as long as he could. But all those guys were hard workers and resilient characters and they took boxing seriously. The generation that followed, not quite. The generation that followed isn't like Craig Richards who doesn't miss a day. Who challenges himself to be better all the time. These guys just want to be seen. So when I look at someone like Josh Kelly, I'm like, how bad do you want it? When I look at someone like David Avanessian, I don't even have to ask that question. It's obvious. His face tells it. His eyes tell you. With Josh, the question I have, and I don't know who I'd ask this question to, is does he just want to be Josh Kelly or does he want to be PBK? Or is PBK someone that Adam Booth created and really he just wants to be Josh Kelly, family man from the Northeast? The next six months will tell us a lot about that. But all of this comes to the fact that boxers are their own worst enemy. They don't want to fight each other at the pro level. They're not saying to their promoters, whatever it takes, I'll take a little less money, just make it happen. They're not doing that. Instead, you've got these gimmicks and, and phantom purse bids and people going on their platform and calling people out and all of this nonsense that fans shouldn't care about. Boxers should be absolutely clear and say, I want to fight this guy as soon as possible, whatever it takes to make it happen, make it happen. That's all I want to hear. But how many people have that mindset in the sport right now? Not that many. That's why guys like Leon Solid Williams can look at the current generation and go, I still fancy my chances. It's why I can sit there with Big Linton and Linton can look at these heavyweights and go, I could give him trouble for a few rounds, even though, you know, I'm not 35 anymore. And it's why when I sit down and I talk to guys like Mark Rygate, and he has that look about, he's got that look about him that just says, I'm not even going to waste my time. Because we've all seen what it takes to redline yourself and push yourself and go to those dark, uncomfortable places. And we're not seeing it anymore. You know, this new generation, and probably like from about 2015, 2016 onwards, they're scared to be those people. But I'm going to pause it there. And apologies, I know people get frustrated by this because I'm sort of mid-flow, but my back's absolutely killing me. Spinal. No, my back is absolutely killing me. So I'm literally going to wrap this up, have a rest, because you know I know I can formulate part two. You want to listen to part two because part two, I'm really going to talk about the training side of things and why I think, you know, as fans, we've been conned into believing a lot of things. And they actually talk about the fans as well because I think as boxing fans, we all have a part to play in making the sport better or worse. 
So all you have to do, don't worry, man. Just click on the next episode, man. Just, let's keep it going. But more importantly, thank you guys for tuning in. And the next episode is probably just the next one up for you. So cheers. I'm getting paid next paper a check. What? You ain't making me vex. You're making yourself just look stupid. Now you hating the test. What I hate this place was just making me progress until I'm late to rest. Fuck all my haters here. Ooh, I don't like you. Well, fuck you too. How much hate I go through? You ain't even got a clue. I know there's even people listening who hate on me too. You know what I gotta say to them? Fuck you too. I don't chat people's names or get up in people's business or spread of what I witness. Cause spreading shit is vicious. Especially when it's the man them. about people is something you don't do when they find out you chat all their comments are hunt you confront you some don't talk they'll just lump you fuck you from there on you wanna talk my name fuck him man we're enemies i do my best to make your whole life a living how pussy you'll remember me damn you got my name in your mouth i must be your favorite flavor you been taking it out hating on me major man i ain't breaking a sweat too focused how i'm getting paid next paper a check what you ain't making me vex just look stupid that like you hate the test what i hate this place was just making me progress until i'm late to rest fuck all my haters yeah why do people start hating because their life been elevating they just stand still and they're jealous of what you're creating could be a career people even hate on who you're dating hate because you're straight hate because you're happy who you're dating hate because you're rated hate because your tracks are on the station hate because you're content they even hate it at your patient i'm sure you gather by now hating for slacks and waste men who don't follow their own path they stay chasing pavements they could even have more than you, but they're hating and faking is like what they do. How you react to one of your haters?